Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And a good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is in your part of the world, you are once again on with The Alignment Show. My name is Don King. I am your host this week and pretty much every week. You're just kind of stuck with me, but we really appreciate your being here. We are talking about living your values and valuing your life. And we hope that our programs help you with that. Uh, along those same lines, just to let you know that uh, we're getting really close to the book we've been talking about the last several weeks coming out, The Way of the Three-Year-Old Why. I don't have the cover up here because we've got a new cover. Uh, our cover designer is working on it. And so my working prototype I've taken down. But uh, boy, it's getting a lot closer here. So if you would like to keep track of what's happening with that, I've put on the crawl down here for the folks who can see it on video for the audio only listeners. You can find out more at donking.com. That's D-O-N-N-K-I-N-G.com slash three Y-O, the number three lowercase letters Y-O. Uh, that'll keep you up to date on what's happening with that book, a business fable about figuring out what matters most to you. Now, this works really well with our guest this week because he is an expert with business fables. Uh, Dan Janelle is somebody else that I have met through the Go-Giver Success Alliance group. You hear us talking about those folks a lot. But it's just it's just a great group. And I have gotten to know Dan as a writer. And I've got to warn you that as writers, we may get a little geeky here because this is something he and I share a passion for. But let me just give you a little bit of background here. Dan is the author of more than a dozen books, an award winning daily newspaper reporter and editor, highly engaged, empowering speaker and podcast host of Write Your Book in a Flash. That's also a book of his, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Dan's passionate about helping people become successful and reach their highest potential. Now, he does a lot of different things. He provides book coaching, developmental editing, ghostwriting services. He's helped write books with a retired U.S. Army general, a former NFL player, as well as doctors, lawyers, certified financial planners, and thought leaders. I haven't done the ghostwriting thing, but I can tell you that I detect that, uh, that what would I say, that shared passion of just simply what the written word and the spoken word can do. Now, here on this show, uh, we're focusing a lot on what I tend to call origin stories. You know, how did you get there? Uh, what is it that keeps you going? So we're going to be talking with Dan about what brought him to this place. But we also want to make sure that you know how he might be able to serve you. But his story will certainly serve. So without further ado, let's bring Dan Janelle on. Dan, welcome to The Alignment Show. Thanks, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm so glad you're asking me about my origin story because it is so true. That's one of the things that I work on with my clients to make sure that they're in total alignment with their book. We make sure we get their origin story. We call it their signature story. And I'll share mine with you. Uh, and then I'll tell you... Uh, 
a little bit behind the scenes, sort of like going under the hood on how it's constructed. So you can create your own signature story because your signature story is not your bio. It's not when you were born and where you went to school and all your degrees and all that. No one really cares. They want to know what got you to where you are. And, and at the same time, you want them to know that what changed your life is what you are actually trying to offer to your listeners. So if you listen closely, you might hear it. And if you don't, I'll certainly tell you the clues when we're done. Absolutely. So <laughs> and, and let's note, we've got a lot of folks on here that know both of us. I've been putting some of their uh, comments up on the screen. Uh, there is our fearless leader, Bob Berg, looking forward to this. Dan Janelle. Hey, Truly one of the pioneers of internet marketing. I didn't even mention that, Dan. I know that about you. And he brings <laughs> so much wisdom to the table on book writing, promotion, etc. Let, let me let me throw a question to you. And I know because we're both word people, I know once I get you started, you're just going to be able to run with it. But I was in a writer's group a couple of weeks ago that I'm new to, and they, they were doing the usual, you know, give us your background, all that. And I said, well, I started working in a newspaper when I was 14 years old, and every person around the table said, yeah, yeah, we, we've done that too. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm wondering, did you start with journalism? You know, how did you get started? And what what's the breadcrumb trail how this led? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess it's the pre-story before we get to the signature story, which I want to make sure we touch on, because I right. think people can learn a lot from that. Yeah, when I was in second or third grade, I wanted to be a writer. You know, I actually wrote like a short story about astronauts or something. It was astronauts were really popular back then. Uh, it was the new thing. So, uh, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, so I, I went to uh, journalism school at, at Northwestern, and I thought, you know, I could become an English major, but what do English majors do? English majors know how to dissect Herman Melville and uh, Tolstoy and Hemingway and whatever, but uh, that doesn't get you anywhere. It just teaches you how to dissect other people's stuff. It doesn't, doesn't give you any life experiences. So I thought if you become a journalist, you know, you work for a daily newspaper, you meet all these interesting people and all these different crises, and that would be the basis of the great American play. I don't want to write the great American story or, or the great American novel. I want to write the great American play because I really like dialogue. Um, so I went to journalism school, worked for daily newspapers in Florida, fact, uh, not far from where you are, Bob. I was in Vero Beach and Cocoa Beach. And, you know, there's something very interesting about uh, working for small town newspapers. Uh, let me rephrase that. There's nothing interesting about working for small town <laughs> newspapers. Um, they discuss garbage, literally garbage, you know, garbage pickups. Who's going to pick up our garbage? Which company? What are the rates? What are the tax rates? Boring. Boring. These were not the stories that I read in the New York newspapers, you know, of Pete Hamill, you know, talking to guys at the bar, telling great stories, <laughs> like, you know, inspirational stuff, things that would get you really moving. It was god awful boring. Um, so I got out of that and went to PR. This is sort of the near the the journal, the, uh, the the signature story. So I was a hotshot PR guy. I was doing PR back uh, back when the in terms, you know, companies like K-Pro and Commodore were synonymous with the words computer. Uh, I personally introduced the CD-ROM industry because one of my clients, Grolier, had the first uh, software on the CD-ROM, the encyclopedia. Now you can't even find a CD-ROM player, but at the time, 
This was big. I also worked with a company called AOL, America Online, and brought them public. So I was a pretty hotshot PR guy. So every six months, I go to the software publishers conferences, and I would do a keynote speech, or I'd lead a seminar, or uh, be on a panel uh, as my marketing. I didn't know that you speaking was a way to get paid. To me, speaking was the marketing tool you used to uh, get new clients. So I'd be on the panel and I'd do my thing and afterwards uh, I'd go to the back of the room and people come up to me and they'd say, hey, can you do RPR? And I'd say, great, when can we get started? And they'd say, well, why don't you send us a proposal first? Why? Because they saw me as a commodity. Because even though I had done all these wonderful things, everyone else on the panel had also done all these wonderful things. So do you ever feel that way too? Are you the best realtor in town? Are you part of the president's club? Are you, you know, the best dentist in town? But yet they still don't sign up with you because they're looking at other people as well. Well, that was happening to me too because they saw me as a commodity. So I'd go back to my office and, you know, frankly, that's the way it was done. You know, everyone else in the panel was going back to their offices and writing their proposals. Too. So we'd spend 20, 30, 40 hours working on our proposals, thinking of new ideas and spending lots of time that was never compensated, mind you, but we, that's the way it was done because we were a commodity. And I'd send my proposal in and I'd wait and wait and wait. And finally, I'd get up the nerve because we all have imposter syndrome and like, did you like my proposal? Like, oh, we decided to do it in-house instead. Why? Because they got all these great ideas from everyone on the panel, and then they just put their team on it and did whatever they wanted to do. And that's the way it was done. And I thought, that sticks. And I mean, I'm sure there are people in the audience here, too, who are saying, you know, I put together all these marketing proposals for all my real estate uh, uh, houses and ideas, and, and I just don't hear back from people. They ghost me. They don't return my phone calls. And, you know, it's just part of the game, so we just keep on doing it. And I, and I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And I thought, well, you know, if you write a book, you stand out from the crowd because none of my other competitors had written a book. So I sat down, I wrote a book called How to Publicize High-Tech Products and Services. That's what I did. You know, that's on a daily basis. That's what I wanted to do. Those are the clients I wanted to attract. So I was really, really well, well focused. I could have written about a lot of things, but I wrote about what I wanted my clients to do, what I could do for my clients. So it's very, very focused. So the next time I went to the software publishers meeting, I spoke on a panel and I held up my book and I said, you know, here's my book. And at the end of the conference, uh, at the end of the talk, people came up to me and said, hey, can you do RPR? And I said, oh, do you want a proposal? And they said, no, you wrote the book. When can you get started? And that changed everything because now companies came to me because I was the expert, I was the authority, I had written the book. And I tell you, one book leads to many, many opportunities. It opens the doors. So I self-published this book back in 1991, yeah. And then I, I, was, you know, I was doing the PR for America Online, and then this internet thing came along and said, you know, this could be big. So <laughs> I wrote a proposal to write a book about how to market on the internet and online services. And John Wiley published that book. It was translated to several languages. And they bought that book or they gave me the contract because they knew I could finish the book. Now, a lot of people think they can write a book. A lot of people start books. Not many people finish their books. 
So because I had self-published a book, they knew I could do it. They knew I could cross the finish line. So I wrote that book. It was translated to several languages, and it opened lots of doors. I taught the first internet marketing class at Berkeley. Uh, in fact, uh, the company, the government of China actually hired me to uh, do a seminar in China. They paid for my wife and me to go to China, you know, business class, picked us up at the airport, uh, took us to the hotel the next morning. They picked us up the hotel and a driver picked us up the hotel and uh, drove us to the Great Wall of China, the Forbidden Palace, you know, the Forbidden City, the, the Winter Palace, which, uh, everything was just, you know, amazing. And then the next day I did my speech and then we came home. So the book literally opened the world to me. I've spoken everywhere from Beijing to Budapest, all across Canada, the United States, Mexico, and even Rio de Janeiro. So it really opened the world. And if that were the end of the story, that would be fine. And and let but, me interrupt just a second, Dan, because I want to hear I want to hear the rest of the story. You've got a, a flow going, yeah. but let's make a little point here. I hear sometimes experts who will say, "I don't want to write a book because if they can get my expertise for twenty bucks, why would they hire me?" And what I'm hearing from you is it's actually the opposite. That that, that it may be that you've shared a lot of your expertise in the book, but you haven't shared you, and they want you once they've read the read the book. Is that accurate? Uh, that is and. You know, you can't, you can, you can learn how to play the, you can learn something about playing the guitar by reading a book. But if you really want to get good, you need a teacher to watch over you and show you, oh, you're going too fast, you're going too slow. Oh, your finger pattern, you're doing this. It'll be a lot easier if you use these fingers instead of those fingers. Mm -hmm. So it's that fine tuning because everyone is different. Every right. situation is different. The book is the overview here's what here's how you can become rich in real estate here's how you can improve your your dental practice here's how you and can become it a establishes, but it you establishes your credibility right it establishes yeah. your credibility it, exactly uh and it says you know the book gives you the opportunity to work with the author on a one-to-one -one basis and frankly that's where the money is you know you won't, you won't get rich writing books some people do uh, most people don't but especially for consultants and professionals, the money is in the coaching and the consulting. In fact, that takes me back to the signature story where I said, you know, I traveled the world. And if that were enough, that would have been fine. But I got an email from a gentleman in India a few years after the book came out. And he said, I bought your book a few years ago and it cost me a month's salary. You know, remember, you know, in the United States, we're sort of privileged here. $24 for a book, no big deal. Other parts of the world, $24 is a lot of money. He said, yeah. I bought your book. It cost me a month's salary, but I followed the instructions in your book and I started a business and I made so much money or did so well that my wife didn't have to work. She could stay home and raise our kids. Uh, we sent our kids to college. They're completely debt free. And it's all because I read your book. So that's the other great thing about books. You can change the world. You have no idea who's reading your book or how they're going to consume your book or what they're going to do with your book. Um, but out of the blue, I got this email from this guy in India and I made a difference in his life. And I can only think, how many other lives have I changed? How many other lives have you changed? How many other lives will you change when you write your book? So not only did the book help me personally, financially, and open the world to me, it also helped make the world a better place. Mm. So that's the signature story. And if you dissect it, here's the key. What was the difference? The book was the difference. Yeah. Writing a book made me stand out. 
So it wasn't that I had taken additional courses or I took the Dale Carnegie course and I got more confident and I became a better speaker, which could have been part of the course, but I'm not selling the Dale Carnegie course. That's not the transformation I wanted to sell. I want to sell the fact that I can help you write your book, either as a ghostwriter, book coach, or developmental editor, because I've been there and I've done that. And the payoff is I, it made a difference in my life because I didn't have to write proposals anymore. I could get the clients, I could see the world, and I can make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing your signature story, the change agent is what you are providing everyone else. So think about that. What is that key that you want to sell that you the search that you were providing that was actually turned your life around as well? So think about that. And that's the that that will turn your your signature story from just being a biography into a motivating factor that said, yeah, oh, he was doing OK or he had these problems. But then he hired a coach and then the coach told him what to do, made the slight adjustment. And suddenly it changed everything. Instead of having his arm out here when he's playing golf, suddenly his arm was over here and it worked. Instead of going like this with his guitar, he went like this with his guitar and suddenly he was clapped in, you know? So think about <laughs> it. What is it that you are selling and how did that change your life? That's the story that people want to hear. Mm -hmm. I have um, I have heard for a long time, story isn't just this happened, then this happened, then this happened. The, the classic structure is there is a focal character protagonist, but, you know, not, not, not to get the technical terms out there. There's a focal character facing a challenge in the process of facing that challenge. He or she grows and changes. Mm -hmm. So so conflict is always built into a story. Now, as a developmental editor, um, ghostwriter, you're working with people they know their stuff. Do you find that they have a tendency to devalue their experience? You know, they just want to talk about what they know. And part of your job is drawing out the unique aspect of, of their experience. Oh, definitely. Um, a lot of my clients are very good with the technical aspects. They could write a textbook about their topic, but that's boring. The way people move and the way you move people to action is with stories. I'm not the first person to say that. We've known that since the beginning of time. Stories right. motivate people. So I try to make sure that all of my clients start their chapters with an inspiring story, either from their own lives or even better from their clients' lives. So if they can do case histories of you know how they worked with a certain client and how they changed their lives and how they overcame a problem because of a certain principle that you're going to talk about in that chapter, that's what really works. So I'll give you an example. I was working with a former NFL player who was writing a book for student athletes on how they could uh, succeed in the real world, because let's face it, very few people actually get drafted by the NBA or the NFL. Most of them have to say like, oh my gosh, I have to get a job and I've been coddled since I was in sixth grade because I could catch balls or run faster than anyone else. Now I have to like get a job. What does that mean? So we would have an uh, we'd have a chapter and say attitude. And I'd say, you know, tell me a story about uh, a player had a good attitude. And he'd say, oh, this guy would come into the room and he'd brighten up the room and everyone was great about him and he'd, he'd be a great, a great leader. And here's what he said and here's what he did. And here's how people felt about him. So his attitude really inspired the team. I'd say, okay, tell me a story about a player who had a really bad attitude. 
and say, oh, we had this guy. He was like a real hotshot. He was All-American in high school. He came in. He thought he was the best player in the world, but everyone else was an All-American, too. And he started, you know, he's a real downer. He started doing uh, drinking. He came in late to practice. He started hanging around uh, the wrong element. And he'd come to the room and just, like, hung over. And, you know, we had to cut him because he just brought everything down. I said, okay, what does attitude mean to you? How do you define attitude? Let's see, we had two stories. Good attitude. Bad attitude, so they can really get a feel for how it affected everyone else. Now, what does attitude really mean? So we got into the idea of, you know, his definition of attitude, so it was him. Now, it wasn't chat GPT saying, attitude, attitude, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, <laughs> attitude is blah, blah, blah. It's, uh, it was really what it meant to him. And he said, okay, what kind of coaching questions would you ask someone or what kind of action plan would you set up or what kind of checklist would you have, depending on the nature of the, the book and what we're trying to, uh, to, to get across. And we would uh, think about ideas there. And that way the kids could actually read the book and say, okay, uh, am I going to bed at the right time? I wake, am I waking up at the right time? Am I going to the room with you know, a positive attitude or, or whatever? So again, it was his material that we would brainstorm on to make sure the kids had a good guidepost of what to do or a checklist of what to do or how to think about things so they could, so they could make the work their own and be part of the book. So we're not just lecturing at them. So that's a combination of the story that, so you can get to your main points and then let the reader internalize it and make the work their own. So hmm. they, it sticks with them. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm curious, can you, and this putting you on the spot a little bit, but you may be able to remember, um, do you remember when it first struck you that as a wordsmith, the most important aspect was the story as opposed to the facts? Now, now you and I started before the Internet. So, you know, these days the, inf the information matters, but let's face it, if you want some information, you can just look it up. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the uniqueness of the story is what what you really bring out in people. But a lot of us starting out with that newspaper thing, we're reporting on on funerals and, and weddings and baseball and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, folks who are worried about AI, if you don't know it already, sports stories have been being written by AI for a long time, you know, when it's just giving the information. So, so do you remember an incident or something that gave you that aha about the story being so important? Well, the story has always been important, and it's, it's interesting that you say about, uh, you know, template writing, because, you know, when I was a reporter, you're right, the, the, some stories just write themselves. It's like uh, obituaries or car accidents or whatever. It's like, you know, so-and-so aged that's, that's 76, died last night in, you know, West West Haven Hospital, uh, you know, and you go into the whole, the, it, it, you're, you're filling in the blanks, so mm -hmm. it, 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 it makes sense that AI or a computer could do, and frankly, computers have been doing a lot of work. You know, Grammarly has saved my butt many, many times. I'm saying, gee, th these little words like A and an and the that I think are there, they are there, and Grammarly points them out. I'm, mm -hmm. It saves my butt every single day when I'm sending out emails and I see a little red squiggly line and saying, hmm, there's a word missing there. Do you mean to because our minds are trained to see words that aren't there because we assume it's there and that's the way we're programmed, unfortunately. But uh, to get back to, so I don't think we should fear AI. Uh, I think everyone's going to be using AI. And if you're not using AI, then you're going to be left behind. Yeah. So it's not that AI is going to take away your job. It's that people 
who don't use AI are going to be losing out. Uh, I also think that uh, when it comes to AI, there's going to be a massive race to the bottom. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like back in the early days of the Internet, people, you know, consultants had newsletters and we charged like 200, 300, 400, 500 dollars a year for newsletters. They were printed newsletters they had to be, you know, uh, printed and folded and mailed and stamped and envelopes. And it was a big deal. There's a big expense. So of course, you have to pay for it. A plus. You could also say, well, I'm a really expensive uh, consultant because my, my newsletter costs $500 a year. So there was pride in that. Then yeah. someone got on the Internet and they said, you know, it costs nothing to put my newsletter on the Internet. And I don't care about making a couple hundred dollars for my newsletter because I want to make tens of thousands of dollars from the consulting. So I'll get my newsletter away for free. And then suddenly there's a race to the bottom. Everyone put their newsletters online. Suddenly, no one valued newsletters anymore. Now everyone has blogs. Everyone has podcasts. There's this so much content out there. People cannot possibly consume all of it. And uh, AI, some people can choose AI to create their material and have absolutely no pride of ownership. I think that's horrible. I wrote a book a short book, an ebook called uh, How to Write Your Book in a Flash with Artificial Intelligence Ethically. And I think the ethical part, two parts. Number one, AI is really good for idea creation. You know, it's a great prompter. It's a great thing to say, here are 10 possible uh, titles for your book, or here are 10 outlines for your, for your, for your book, 10 chapters for your book. Uh, really great for doing that. But anyone can do that. So my material could look exact, exactly like your material. What makes it different are my stories and your stories. Yeah. And that's where the ethics come in. So if you just rely on AI to write your stuff, people are going to say, gee, this sounds like a machine wrote it. <laughs> and, and they don't get the feeling that they, they won't get to know, like, and trust you. As our, as our mentor, Bob Berg says, or, as, uh, to quote him accurately, all things being equal. Bob told yeah. me this many years ago. He did not create the all uh, like, no like and trust, but he said, all things being equal, people will do work with you if you they know, like, and trust you. And that's where it really separates things out because it's your stories uh, and your tactics and your ideas that uh, will separate you from everyone else because people want to see you as the leader who can take them from mess to success. So that's what your stories really need to show. You know, we talked about uh, many different, the hero's journey, there are many others, there's the three-part uh, uh, analogy, there, there are many different ways to write books. The key is to get people to know, like, and trust you so they see you as the leader who takes them from mess to success. So think about those times when you worked with your clients and they were in a problem and exemplify that. You know, here I worked with Susie. Susie was the best realtor in town, but she had trouble getting clients. She did direct mail. She did social media. She did this. She did that. She did the other thing. She spent thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours, and really got nothing for it because everyone else in town was doing the same thing. Then Susie discovered... Uh, uh, she said, I, sh I should hire a, a coach. I should hire a consultant. I should hire a, uh, a marketing, a uh, chief marketing uh, officer part time to help me along the way. Assuming you're a chief marketing officer. You know? yeah, and yeah. and and she told me to do X, Y, Z. She told me to go to networking meetings and meet people face to face and uh, and show how I can be of value to them and give first and become a value and a service to them. And as a result, People started calling me and saying, oh, I heard you do such wonderful things. Can you sell my house? Or I have a neighbor who wants to sell their house. Or my 
and on and on. And suddenly she started getting a lot more referrals because she became a go-giver. And therefore, if you read The Go-Giver and if you work with Bob Berg and people on his team, you will have more success in your business as well. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, and before we leave the AI thing, share a, a little uh, comment from Jeff West. Amazon now making people declare AI generated books. Um, we could do a whole show on that. But, you know, we'll just note in passing. Nobody knows for sure why Amazon is doing that, but they are they are gathering the information. And chances are I agree with you 100 percent, Dan, it's not that AI is going to take your job. It's that somebody who's using AI is going to take your job <laughs> if you don't learn the tool. But I also advise people to think of it as your intern. You know, you're not going to put the intern <laughs> in charge, but you can use the intern to help do research and, and background stuff and all that sort of thing so that you can do what only you uniquely can do. It, it, it should enhance your value. And I'm, I'm not sure how this will go down, in just my opinion. I agree with you about the, the race to the bottom. In a, in a way, it's going to really benefit those people who are doing what you are advising them to do because it's going to make the real-world experiences and the stories stand out. It's so much obviously better than those who are just going to crank out the, uh, the trash. So uh, you know, th th this is where somebody with your skills and abilities can really help somebody to stand out. Now, one of the things I want to be sure we do, because I'm looking at the clock running out of time, want to know how make sure people know how to get in touch with you. We've got our usual QR code up here for those who are on video. Uh, Dan has a website, writeyourbookinaflash.com. We've got it on the crawl also. Those of you who are listening, audio only, okay, great in my opinion, great name for a URL because it's so easy to see and just put into a, a browser. Write your book in a flash.com, all one word, so to speak. And you've got a, a book that you have available there. In fact, let's show your website. Let me get the QR code off there. Again, those of you who are on video, you'll be able to see uh, the website here and scroll down in it. Uh, it's got some information about a developmental editor and what they do. You can claim your copy of the book by the same name. And in fact, Dan just mentioned that he's written another short book, write your, uh, uh, what, how, what, what was the title of it about the uh, AI ethically? So write your book in a flash with artificial intelligence ethically. Okay. Okay. And, and so I'm um, uh, reviews and that sort of thing. I mean, this is a great website for you to know, what's going on with that. Uh, as we get ready to, um, to, to come to a close here today, Dan, I always like to ask, um, I'm always a generalist talking to a specialist of some sort. There's probably something that you wish that I had asked that I didn't know enough to ask. Is, <laughs> is there a question that I have left hanging out there that you wish I had asked? And if so, what would your answer be? Oh, wow. Um, well, my, my mind is going to go back to the most recent thing you talked about. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there are a million things, but uh, the Write Your Book in a Flash, it's really a branding exercise for everyone listening because the name of the book is Write Your Book in a Flash. The website is writeyourbookinaflash.com. My podcast is Write Your Book 
in a flash with Dan Janelle. So there's that similarity. And of course, the new book, Write Your Book in Flash with AI Ethically. Uh, so it all plays off the same theme. So I think a lot of my clients who come to me or a lot of prospects who come to me, uh, they're one of two, one of two kinds. Uh, on the one hand, it's uh, I know exactly what I want to do. I have a coaching program for dentists and how they can expand their practice. Boom, no problem. They're focused. They know who their audience is. They know the problems. They know the solutions. Very easy to work with those people. Um, the other group are the people say, oh, I have three ideas for a book and two ideas for a screenplay. <laughs> it's like they're not focused. So I always ask uh, a few questions to get people focused. And if anyone would like to join me on a 15-minute coaching call, I'd be happy to do that. And we'll, we'll discuss these four questions. Number one, what is what do you want the book to do for you? So it's not what the book is about. What do you want the book to do for you? It could be to get new clients. It could be uh, to make money. It could be to uh, change the world and get them to think more about uh, certain issues that you believe in. I did. A, I was on a summit the other day, and one woman wrote in. She said she's writing a book to get justice. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't have time to delve into that, but uh, there are many reasons to write a book. The point is, if you know the reason you're really writing the book, that will help you cross the finish line because that will keep you motivated to say, okay, I want to do this. Okay. Second question is, how do you want uh, your audience to be transformed by reading this book? In other words, what's in it for them? But it's a deeper question than what's in it for them. How, why are they, why are they, the only reason people will read a book is to solve their problems. So what are the key problems that they need to have solved that also intersect with the key problems that you like to solve? Because let's face it, we can all solve a lot of problems, some of which are really not profitable because they take too much time or too much effort or too much angst and you just don't want to deal with it anymore or they're too boring like yeah we've done that I don't really want to do that anymore it's just not fun and interesting so the intersection of what you want to sell that those become the the eight chapters in the middle of the book that show you to be the leader who takes them from mess to success those are the problems that you like to solve that your clients know they need solving with and once you have that here's a marketing tip then you read the Wall Street Journal or your, your trade publications or your local media and you say, oh, this person has that problem. You send them the book and say, hey, I saw the Wall Street Journal. You're having a problem with employee engagement. My book talks about that. Read chapter four. I'll call you next Wednesday and see if I can help you in your, with your company improve that problem. Okay. So those are the two key questions that I ask people. And then we get to other questions like, you know, are there other books in this topic and how does yours uh, differ? And I think that's less of an important question now than it used to be because everyone is an expert in their own individual niche and their own individual market. So uh, you could be a realtor. There are hundreds of other people who are realtors as well, but you're the one who specializes in vacation properties or vacation properties in, uh, in Aspen. And suddenly your experiences are totally different than someone selling, you know, $3 million condos in high rises in New York City. You know, totally different. So mm -hmm. I think uh, those, are, those are some of the key questions that will help people get focused. And if you'd like to do that, just send an email to me at dan at prleads.com. And I'll send you a link to my calendar so we can book a 15-minute uh, coaching call for that. Yeah, and we'll be sure and share all of that in the show notes that go along with this, just a little reminder for folks, uh, and I'll mention again in a bit. Oh, where is it? This is like running a starship sometime. <laughs> Confidence 
confidencecultivators.com, you can find show notes and we will have the links that Dan has talked about there. But just to get the email uh, out there one more time, it's dan at prleads.com. Did I say that right? Right. P-R-L-E-A-D-S.com. Okay, very good. Uh, you'll also find at the top of writeyourbookinaflash.com, I think you've got a button up there for a discovery call. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's it. That's a, yeah. that's a 15-minute call. Yeah, so that, that's, that'd be a great thing. Uh, check out whether that would be something that would be useful to you. Uh, so, uh, Dan, I'm so appreciative of you being on with us this week. We're a little bit over time at this point. Don't go away. Just hang out in the green room for just a second while I let people know about what's coming up next week because I want to thank you properly. But, folks, it's been great having Dan on this week. Um, we could talk for hours. i got to tell you, we could talk for hours just about craft stuff. Uh, um, Dan is so good at pulling these things together. Uh, I hope that you will check him out. also want to remind you, uh, we've already told you about how to get the show notes. If you work with QR codes, there's one up there in the upper whatever corner that is on your screen uh, to where you can get to the podcast home. Uh, a little bit of a reminder, you can get a free short story that is within the same universe as Way of the Three-Year-Old Why. If you're interested in that, you can go to donking.com slash brewing. No, it's not that kind of brewing. It's about coffee, but uh, sort of like cheese sampling. You can see whether you like the writing style or not. Next week, we're going to have something a little bit different on the alignment show. My guest next week is uh, Timothy. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on his last name right now. Oh, what it's like to get older. Timothy Holton. The, the thing about Timothy is he's not a marketing guy. He left a successful career in nursing to become, among other things, a death row chaplain. Wow, that's going to be an interesting conversation. And uh, he's uh, an example, I think, of people figuring out what matters to them. So the Alignment Show, we're all about living your values in order to value your life. And that's going to be a little different approach to that. So be sure and watch for that next week and every week here, 10 a.m. Eastern Time with the Alignment Show. We're having conversations about how people have changed their lives because that's going to help you to change yours. So join us next week on The Alignment Show. That's it for this week's episode of The Alignment Show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness and remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.